You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 398, last train to Late Junction, shall I compare thee to World Poetry Day and rock bands taking us to the cleaners? That's all coming up after the Blue Tones and Slight Return. Strong and touring the UK right through the spring and summer of 2019. Number two in the UK in 1996 from West London's exotic Hounslow, (laughs) the Blue Tones and Slight Return. 
and I do have a slight name dropping sort of um, always an, welcome an anecdote here, which is that ages ago, when I briefly spent time co-promoting gigs, we put on Mark Morris as a solo artiste in Hastings, mm. um, in a pub on a Sunday afternoon, and he drove down from Tunbridge Wells in the afternoon where he lives to uh, to play for us, and he was a really really nice chap and mm. played a lovely set, and uh, not doesn't always do slight return now, but did for mm. us, and um, and uh, yeah, he was he was a lot of fun and we he was an incredibly charming chap so uh, so yeah i'm always i've always liked the blue tones anyway but i've liked them a little bit more since we since we met mark because he really was a pleasure to work with oh, that's good to know i always like to hear when we meet people famous people and they turn out to be nice people it's, it was just it was just, a, it was just a, he was a really nice bloke mm. he was lovely Jules, every now and then, someone with an enormous pension plan who is in charge of a radio station (laughs) decides the time is right for change and some people, listeners, writers, commentators, go go do lally for a week or so and then everyone goes on about their business again. Whether it's hoiking Grimmy off the Radio 1 breakfast show, the shoving of Joe Wiley on to drive on Radio 2. Poor Joe Wiley. She seems to be a woman that's shoved quite a lot. Pushed and pulled around, isn't she? Um, Or maybe even Radio 4 moving woman's hour from the afternoon to the morning arms are thrown in the air and the decision is described as catastrophic sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't there's been a right old hoo-ha this week over bbc radio 3's decision to cut back two jazz shows and the experimental music show late junction which Mm. is reducing from three nights a week to one night the controller of radio 3 alan davey says the decisions are a mixture of creative renewal like that phrase and radio 3 playing its part in the 800 million quids worth of savings the bbc has been told to make by 2022 is it time to march in protest to broadcasting house jules well, I am. I was very sad to hear about mm-hmm. this. I really like Late Junction, always have done. And actually, for me, and I, I think it is important to make this comparison. Mm-hmm. It filled a bit of a, a, not exactly filled a hole. It's, it's, it's. Well, it did at first, and now it, I've mm-hmm. grown to really love it. But when John Peel, the untimely demise of John Peel in in 2004, I really felt a, a loss because, of course, he was on at 11 to one at that point, and mm-hmm. I felt a, a great loss. At, at, what was I going to listen to? Late Night Radio that was mm-hmm. interesting, and Late Junction was going at that point. And I, I found the transition, I miss John Peel very much and still do, but I found the transition music-wise to be surprisingly easy. And I, I've got a couple of Late Junction compilation CD, CDs at home. That I, I love Late Junction. I think it's such an interesting programme. And the reason why I'm so sad mm. that it's been cut from three nights a week to one night a week, uh, on the cusp of its anniversary as well, it's 20th anniversary apparently, and also it's um, they're about to do a, a huge festival to celebrate it. So it seems a very odd decision in that respect. But I, there was a really good article in The Guardian that when this news broke, and it basically said what I've just said, which is, well, don't, don't BBC Radio bang on and on and on about how you want to protect John Peel's legacy in diversity of programming and then cut Late Junction, which really is. It's far more... Late Junction is far more of an expression of John Peel's legacy than I think Six Music is, which, as listeners now, I'm a big fan of, but it's starting to become mm. rather more conservative in its programming with a small C than it, than it was at first. And Late Junction 
has this enormous diversity of tunes, enormous diversity of different artists. Of, of the only thing I can think of that's remotely near to it is Keris Matthews on Six Music in the on Sunday mornings. Uh, but again, that's one show a week, and I don't feel that Late Junction was taking up that much space. I'm not convinced it's 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 very expensive, although perhaps it's not quite the off the peg show that some of the others are. I'm, I, I admit that, but I think it's such an interesting program that really does shine a light on artists and music that no nowhere else on BBC Radio or indeed many other places maybe resonance perhaps but no nowhere mm. else is really doing this weirdy programming and and just and, sh- and you know re- letting listeners hear this kind of stuff find you know giving this to an audience an audience which you would hope being a Radio 3 audience would would have more of a more of a palette for diversity and even if they don't I think this music needs to be heard ultimately and I, I don't think it's I, I don't see it seems like a decision that isn't going to save that much money I don't feel how it is creative renewal because actually Late Junction is always something that renews itself because it is so wide in the music that it plays it's not like oh nobody listens to grime anymore or whatever because it doesn't just play that it plays all sorts of different sort of fringe music some some you know perhaps a bit more mainstream it, it will go folk it will go arty it will play all sorts of interesting things on there and i just find it i find it maddening that the bbc can go on and on and use all these buzzwords like creative renewal and you know wanting to mm-hmm. diversity of output and then and then cut the one thing in in their output that is genuinely truly really diverse i think it's it's I find it very frustrating and very odd and very poor decision making because I don't think it's going to be worth the cut. I, I don't think it's going to save any money. I think it's just going to, going to, you know, it's going to make their divert their, the rise to the sorry, the diversity of their output mm. much poorer. I think. By the way, this is our three hundred ninety eighth podcast, and it's the first it time ever that I've forgotten to do the introduction. So, oh, is we, it? yeah. So what we're going to have to do is everybody just pretend we we'll just roll back in time five minutes. I'll do the introduction now, and then we'll just carry on as if nothing went wrong at all. So it's a, yeah. it's, a it's a lesson to me not you know to remember to look at your notes before you just got rushing in about oh, the blue yes, tones. No one even knows who we yeah, are. That's it exactly. So I'm going to say welcome to the podcast from the parish council. It's episode three hundred ninety eight. I'm Terence Stackham, and hot surface allowed to cool. It's Juliet Harris. Hey, that's me. I'm I'm a very cool cat, but very hot under the collar about the loss of Late Junction. Yes. Well, if everybody See, could just back in that, now, that was back that in. was brilliantly done. And if everybody could just pretend that what I just said, I said it like five minutes ago. That yeah, would just absolutely. then we'll just we'll pretend this never happened. This. Uh, so how do you feel about Late Junction, Terence? Well, I fear I'm about to be controversial because oh, oh. Yeah, I'm sorry about this, Jules, but here goes. Largely, you're not though. You've used that tone of voice. I know, I know. Yeah, that, it's sorry. a conciliatory voice, but I'm smirking. You know, in reality, no. Largely, these shows are on the wrong network. I, I largely listen to Radio Three in the car, and it's infuriating to turn on the BBC's classical music station to find people discussing the latest jazz releases for a start. Anyone who listens to Radio 1 wouldn't expect Greg James to play Thomas Tallis or Delius or Rayform Williams coming out of the 8 o'clock news. Similarly, jazz and, I'm afraid, Late Junction may not fit into what listeners of Radio 3 actually want to hear. And that, that well, Where does me. it fit, though? Where do you put them? If it, I, I think it's a, Well, I think it's a great concept. It, it doesn't attract, I don't think, a huge audience. It's in the wrong home. I'll say where I think it should be. I mean... It started in the, I think, the mid-90s, before the, the internet was anything as we know it today. So 
Equally, I think with the, the rise of curated music, especially on Spotify, there are other places to hear the sort of musical adventures provided by Late Junction. But if we do want it curated on the radio, I would have thought radio, uh, Six Music or perhaps Radio 2, Late Night Radio 2, might be a better place for it. I think Radio 3 is the classical music station... And but, it but should there's be. There's a lot of music that is played on Late Junction. Mm. I would use Steve Reich as an example. Yeah, that's which fine. Is, yeah, which that's is, which is at the at the borders, and mm. and I think that actually there's an argument here to be have about. Uh, I don't. I think it's the. I think you're approaching this from the wrong end because mm. actually I think you can approach from a different angle, which is if we just treat classical music as you know the same old stuff you know if i hear the ring cycle mm. effing wagner sorry <laughs> our regular friends like adrian who love wagner that mm. listen but you know if i hear that one more time i might dig my eyes out with a spoon i'm sick mm. of hearing the same old stuff on radio and by literally the same old literal old stuff on radio three i like the idea that they will play stuff that like late junction will play stuff like nils from and i know they play nils from on six music people mm. like Rayon hobbs have really championed him but i I really like the idea that you know classical music there is that you know the the, the boundaries of classical music shouldn't be solid lines in my view and actually I think late night like late junction is very good in that it does actually it starts off from the edges of classical music yes it goes to slightly different places sometimes but I I do feel that if we put music into constant you know definite boxes and say oh that's a radio two show that's a radio six show then that's gonna that makes that stops people from music from finding different audiences and it also stops music from being diverse it makes music poorer i think it makes it narrower because if you're making stuff that's just it, it then affects how it's made because you end up making stuff to fit into certain boxes you then end up with radio six and radio two becoming far more conservative radio two's late night programming has, has gone basically They're what used to be really interesting specialist shows have mostly all been been kicked it's kicked to the curb six music is still reasonably okay but it's far more conservative than mm. it once was i think that if you're treat if you're putting music in certain boxes then you're diminishing the music and you're diminishing the audience as well and i suppose our two different views just prove the difficulty for controllers and yes, programmers you can't pr- please all the people all the time because you know i think you i think you'd be surprised that i would use the parallel mm. here of actually of six music an asian mm. network which is that the bbc announced the they were consulting on the closure of six music and there was such an outcry that i think the mm. bbc realized at that point in time that the problem was not the fact that there wasn't the more the audience there for six music the problem was it had been so poorly promoted up until that point and that kind of really woke people up i mean in a way you might argue that that was perhaps the beginning of the end for six music in the sense that all of a sudden it became noticed and successful so maybe that is why it's become this sort of holding pen between radio one and radio two but which is a pity but then Mm. having said that it's better to have that than nothing at all i guess but oh i wonder if the problem with late junction is not so much the fact that it doesn't have a wide audience but the fact that it hasn't been it's never publicized it's never particularly pushed although having said that if they did start doing that would that would it be in danger of becoming more commercial in the way that Mm. six has i don't know no that's a very fair point Coming next, the rhyme and reasons for having a World Poetry Day. Mm. Uh, That's right after, from Norway, Pompoko.
against me my body is a flower my blood simulating ecstasy oh swirl around and let go regular listeners will know I've gone through a phase of kind of <laughs> shouty female fronted bands <laughs> at the moment Look, I like this kind of slight Japanese sort of overtones to this mm. um, I said uh, I described this recently on my social media feeds as for fans of early 90s grunge and riot girl boisterous pop and songs uh, strong songwriting in general it's from the album Birthday which I very much enjoyed it's just a really fun album and as I'm enjoying reliving and living in the cocoon of the 90s nostalgia <laughs> at the moment I really like this it came out earlier this year um it's by this band as you say pompoco and that um that song was called my blood yeah it's something very likable about them and if you liked it too uh they're touring pompoco they're touring all over europe throughout 2019 including london's exhilarating lexington pub in thrilling islington on the 10th of april Lexington, the Lexington is excellent, and I do know that well, mm. one of ye nuns who I've mentioned occasionally mm. around here, Delia Sparrow, is in, I believe in charge of putting bands on at the Lexington. So uh, yeah, It's a really good venue to see bands, yeah. There, yeah. Mm. Now, it's always something or other day, isn't it? World Sheepdog Day, World Stamp Collecting Day, World, world Antihistamine Day, day yes. World Biscuit Day, exactly. This week on Thursday, um, in fact, the United Nations decided it was to be World Poetry Day. Um, and, uh, by the way, I'd rather the United Nations dropped in and fixed the whole Brexit business rather than nominating Poetry Days, but 
Yeah, so they did send their rapporteur to make us all feel bad about <laughs> universal credit recently, which is shocking. But anyway, <laughs> yes, well, yes, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, ma- ma- man can't live by it with, with with Theresa May alone, and we need the sustenance. Oh, well, yes, no one can, it would seem. <laughs> no, the sustenance of the arts, uh, of which poetry, uh, many feel at least, is one of the most noblest arts. Um, there's a definitive contrast throughout the generations, at least here in the UK, uh, about our relationship with poetry. I believe if you ask anybody over the age of, say, 70, if they know any poems, many will still be able to reel off great chunks of poetry they learn by heart when they're at school. Now, when I talk to the young people I know um, who are at or were recently at school, poetry is hardly touched upon at all. As with so many facets of school life now, students are taught where to find stuff, but not the actual information itself. Um, Jules... Are you inspired by the Lady of Shalott? Do you long to be in England when April is there? Or would you chuckle poetry into the Thames from upon Westminster Bridge? Well, unlike you, I'm able to have nuanced views where I can be somewhere between the two, just pointing that out before we get into this video. Obviously, I remain very fond of you. But um, no, I. so I actually did The Lady of Shalott at school. I did a number of bit of, of sort of epic poems at, at, for GCSE. We did Mort Darker, Mort which is one of those things which is almost impossible to say except in a Scouse accent. So we did Mort Darker at school um, and, and Goblin Market by Rossetti, which is an absolute trick of a poem if you're 15 and uh, and Lady of Shalott and, and all sorts of interesting things and when I was at sixth form I did the poetry of Robert Frost oh which yes. I really really loved when I was doing an English language and literature A-level a and I recently went to a birthday party, which was um, which was uh, held by a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, and um, people performed. She had various performances, oh, yeah. the DJ slots, but also music. And someone that that unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately, I'm sure she was a very pleasant person, but she did performance poetry. Oh, Much of it was quite cross with previous boyfriends, which which <laughs> I didn't do. It. And I have to say, I did find a reason to hang out in the toilet for several minutes until imagine. that, and a song that had been written from the the point of view of Jolene had uh, had been performed. Um, I didn't feel that added much to the conversation, but mm-hmm. there there is something to be said when it comes to performance poetry. There was something somebody shared on Twitter once, which uh, had a sign which said "Poetry upstairs," and they had put as a caption "Goes downstairs." And um, <laughs> and I do feel a little bit something like that performance poetry is. I get that the people that are doing it, it's brilliant that they've written their own poems, and that's wonderful. And it still makes you want to bite chunks chunks out of the wall. But I do just because I just find I, I don't know it doesn't speak to me really if you see what I mean mm. but when it comes to reading poetry I know I, I, I am a huge fan I, I'm not one of these potential people that says oh yes it's an emotional toolkit that will set you up for life but having said that I do I do hear things in poetry that I do really like and occasionally they publish poets in, poets in the New Statesman that I read and uh, a, a nice chap who um, I used to I know from university he was in the Creative Writing Society called Joe Dunthorne um, who wrote a book called Submarine that went on to be a film that was made with um, Richard Jaoji from the in crowd in it that was very good the the IT crowd rather that was excellent um, he um, he wrote a brilliant poem in which he expressed how he loved football and he loved social justice and he couldn't understand people that felt that he couldn't care as much about football as he did mm-hmm. about social justice and I have that on my wall and it always makes me laugh 
every time I read it and reassures me that I am okay to care about the both. So I do think poetry is important. I think I love this little quote from the UN, as you say, the UN mm. not concentrating on what, you know, I, I, unlike you, I believe the UN are capable of doing more than one thing at once. So I think <laughs> they, can, they can concentrate on, you know, the disintegrating situation in Myanmar and they can also do this as well. But they, they said nothing. This is really nice. Poetry reaffirms our common humanity by revealing to us that individuals everywhere in the world say, share the same questions and feelings. Poetry is the mainstay of oral tradition and over centuries can communicate the innermost values of diverse cultures. And I do like the idea that poetry is written and read and enjoyed all over the world because we're all more alike than we are different. And I think that's a, that's a really nice sentiment. And I do... I know I do like poems and I do like the fact that they make me laugh as well and and you know people like Wendy Cope mm. um, who um, who her um, her you know men being like buses that famous poem <laughs> always makes me laugh and also the um, her poem The Orange is possibly my favourite poem oh, at the yes. moment because uh, the, the the fact that she's talking about a, uh, a, a how she's uh, she starts talking about a day about about sharing a huge orange with her two workmates and then obviously she's talking about being a, in a new a new relationship and the last line is i love you i'm glad i exist and i think the things like that are so lovely that that you know i'm glad that we live in a world that does have poetry in it and i wonder if it, it would help to keep us on a more humane path so um i do feel that every day should be world poetry day just as in the same way that i feel that every day should be world biscuit day but equally it is nice to be reminded of these things and i guess the days and anniversaries of that sort of thing are uh, are a good time to remind us that perhaps it's perhaps it's a good jumping off point to get kids interested in things like world book day well you know we're back beating as one heart though because i couldn't agree with you more about performance poetry oh, I, excellent. we hate the same things that's, that's I, the true partnership love poetry ever since i was a boy and i found it a solace and a joy because i struggled to understand the science subjects i, I quickly learned that chemistry and physics were to remain alien to me still are to this day but i could absorb the joy and almost inhabit the words of keats i don't know browning tennyson that, 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 though that one thing that destroys poetry for me, as you mentioned, it's that hideously mannered way. It's often read aloud, especially, by the way, on radio and, or TV. Um, that, that teeth grating intro, intonation. I wandered lonely as a cloud uh. that floats on high o'er vales and hills. You know, that's a massive turn off. But it reading, is. reciting, learning poetry to and for oneself, one of the greatest gifts we have. That's I, I agree, and, and by the way, I did I mentioned World Book Day in passing. Oh there yes, and how good it is to have these days. Having said that, there's a downside to these days, and mm. I'm going to have a little rant now, mm. which is I've got many friends, and indeed my my the whole of parents, and uh, and who who have World Book Day not so much uh, not so much gifted to them as sort of dropped upon them <laughs> and they have to then try and work out what how they're going to send their kid dressed yeah. up to school. Because over here in the UK our, our celebration of World Book Day is to basically drive parents up the hall <sighs> by getting them to dress their child as a different book character each year. And it becomes competitive and, uh, doesn't it? It becomes competitive although there are occasionally parents that, that, that subvert it. I very much enjoyed my friend sending her five year old to school as memoirs of a geisha because 
they just couldn't think of what else to do, which I thought was super, although I don't know to what extent the book was explained to the five-year-old, I'm not sure. But mm. the thing that, that makes me cross about it is that it becomes, um, my, as my friend puts it, my friend Jemima calls it World Checkbook Day, mm. because it just becomes having to spend money on expensive costumes. And then, of course, most of my friends, uh, male children, go in football kit clutching footballers' autobiographies, <laughs> um, which I can understand kind of why they sort of do it but all, all dressed as superheroes world superhero day as my friend puts it and it's 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 a pity really that what should be a great celebration of reading instead becomes this kind of well, yet another consumerist day really and so i you know i i think world book day make every day world book day by reading with your child spend the money for world book day on books don't spend mm. it on, on you know um yes. irrelevant spider-man costumes yes that's good What's next? It's the who ripping us off, that's what. Um, I know, is there anybody that we haven't got a problem with this week, honestly? <laughs> that's coming up after. Um, with a guest vocalist, you'll spot after about three seconds. It's the excellent Stone Foundation. Breathe in 
absolutely no prizes at all for spotting the distinctive voice of Paul Weller. And uh, this album was produced by him and recorded at his Black Barn Studios in Ripley, the magnificent Stone Foundation. And from their 2017 album, Street Rituals, Your Balloon is Rising. Mm. Um, I've had a little difficulty listening to The Who with my age-old enthusiasm ever since Pete Townsend had that bit of a, a problem with websites a few oh, years ago. Oh, he had a bit of local and, difficulty, you know, difficulty. Nonetheless, many people, they'll be excited that uh, The Who are playing Wembley Stadium on the 6th of July this year. Eddie Vedder, Kaiser Chiefs supporting. Now, I'm sure bands and promoters do a lot of research into the market to judge how much people are prepared to pay. However, Jules, I'm beginning really to wonder if these heritage acts are taking us for a ride you may wish to reveal exactly how much fans of the who will need to cough up for decent seats at wembley stadium this summer yes and indeed how much being the operative mm. phrase here go exclamation mark question mark exclamation mark etc um i'll talk about whether or not indeed this is in fact the who knowing their audience but mm. uh, if you want the nosebleed seats in wembley um you know if you can't afford anything else the nosebleed seats even the nosebleed seats are nearly 80 pounds and the best seats on the pitch are 200 pounds a pop frankly um God. it's about 230 quid per front block Yep. Um, it says here, all they're doing is ripping off their loyal fans. This is a fan who's written this, who have probably seen them many a time. Plus, to make the pitch all seating when they know everyone will stand is obscene. Just comes to pure greed. Someone else says, another aggrieved fan raged. The Who are asking £79 plus postage for the worst seats in Wembley and £212 for the best. Talk about taking the pee. Um, everyone gets very cross about this. I mean, I do as well. Although, having said this, there is a slight there was a massive element of greed to it obviously and i wonder if they either know or are choosing their audience because they know that 50 quid man a canon will pay mm. that the concept mm. by the way listeners that aren't familiar it's been going actually word magazine mm. our, our sort of friends there that was allegedly aimed at 50 quid man the idea that there is a man that works probably it definitely in the professions probably in some sort of managerial position that will pop off into hmv at the end of, or wherever at the end of work on a friday and buy you know a couple of cds maybe a book and a dvd and spend about 50 quid and it's aimed at 50 quid man and that kind of level of affluence and i wonder if that's what the who have done there done here i just think it's rubbish i mean we've talked in the past on the podcast about how um much bands make from touring generally and indeed how much ed sheeran makes from mm. touring but having said that ed sheeran's most expensive tickets are 80 quid i mean he yes. doesn't he doesn't go Yes, that is quite a lot, but it doesn't go much more than that. Whereas, yeah, I mean, it does see... I mean, the Rolling Stones, all of these big heritage acts are similar, frankly. And I know that you get a reasonably good supporting bill in Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam and the... He is Pearl Jam, isn't he, Eddie Vedder? And, and the Kaiser Chiefs. It does seem to me... It, it, it just does seem like greed, I must admit. Particularly if you if you're charging people eighty quid, not really to see anything, it doesn't see it doesn't I, you know it, it doesn't really speak to me. No, I, I mean we say two hundred twelve for the decent tickets, which is, is right. But if you if they're calling this hospitality, which is is basically simply access to booze and food and good seats, six hundred and forty seven oh, pounds that is for hospitality. Ridiculous. I want to meet them for that. That is insane. Although I'm not sure yeah. I do want to meet Roger <laughs> at the moment, but still. Um, I, I believe um, 
Townsend and Daltrey, the others are, I think, just paid by the hour, as it were, but I think Townsend and Daltrey are going to walk away with £10 million between them, um, it, assuming it's a sellout, and I'm, I'm sure it will be. Um, just before we come back to the Why Who... Why did the Who, the who sell out, yeah. Oh, hey! Just before we come back to the Who, I, similar to this, I was just... Um, thinking, well, you know, is this the par for the course at the moment? And Barbara Streisand is appearing in London, outdoors at Hyde Park, on Sunday, 7th of July this year, 2019, if you're listening in 2024 or whatever. Well, it's quite possible, if we're all here by then. Indeed, as we've discussed before, the summer Hyde Park gigs are standing only. You are actively prevented from bringing chairs in. They take them off you. Yeah, but it's ridiculous, but we've had that round already. Absolutely, but despite the fact you could be standing for eight or more hours, now, you might be tempted to buy a couple of top-priced tickets for the so-called... Diamond Circle at Hyde Park that allows you, and I again reiterate, to stand in front of the stage. It's the nearest point to the stage. Yeah. These tickets are £499 plus VAT, so that's just short, a couple of pounds short of £600 each. So two tickets, assuming you know you go with a friend or a partner or whatever, two tickets, £1,200. However, this, as you sang, the £50 man and, and those theories, it's already too late because all of those top price diamond circle tickets at £600 are sold out for Streisand. So it seems whatever price these promoters um, and artists put out there, enough people are prepared to pay it. So, you know, who are the mugs? Well, it's quite possible, isn't it, really? I, although I do wonder if the kind of people that... that uh, I wonder if it's we come into a scenario which is like the Ritz, which is that the Ritz Hotel is indeed open to all that can afford it. <laughs> yes. And I wonder if we are in a similar situation. You know, there are probably lots of people that would like to go and see the Who. They might not be able to afford those level of tickets, frankly. There's one last thing I want to... Well, we're having a pop at the Who and this gig. Oh, there's, why not, one, eh? there's one last thing I spotted in the Q&A section of the Who's ticket application process for Webley, right? Oh dear, now, right. You might you might quite reasonably think that if if you're going from all over the country, one assumes, or at least from the south of England, to go and see the Who at Wembley Stadium, there's a couple of things you want to know logistically. You want to yeah. know what time it starts, what time it ends. You might even want to know what time the support acts are getting on, so you might want to go and see them, you might not. But I would have thought particularly you would want to know what time the gig ends because of last trains and babysitters, all that sort of school, the next all that sort of thing. Right, here's the question on the Q&A section of the ticket site. I need to plan my trip. When will the gig end? That's the question, obviously. Here's yeah, the that uh, seems a fair reasonable question. question. Here's the answer, word for word. Unfortunately, we won't receive any details regarding the runtime until the sound check has been done, which is usually on the day of the gig. End of answer. Thanks for that. That's incredibly helpful. Complacent, arrogant and insular. Find out. Decide what time it's going to end and end there because they owe that to the, what, 80,000 people who are paying up to... And also, do they not have a curfew? Well, I assume they do because we know Hyde Park does. Hyde do, don't they? I'm sure Wembley must have as well, but they can't be bothered. Exactly. Anywhere where there are houses nearby, there must be a curfew, surely. You would have thought so. And they just can't be bothered to go to Townsend and Daughtry and say, look, we really must provide this information. Presumably they just think, ah, you know, whatever, it's the who, you know, we go home whenever. 
but you know what what's the deal here are we going to leave 50,000 people stranded on Wembley Central tube station thinking oh no the last tube is gone what am I to do and while Roger Daughtry and Pete Townsend are going off in their limos to their luxury hotels for the night people will be kipping down on railway platforms I think it's an absolute disgrace yeah I, I couldn't agree more I think it's ridiculous Jules, when you're not reciting the Lady of Shalott this week, <laughs> <laughs> where will you be appearing? Well, actually, I have a fairly quiet week appearance-wise. Oh. Having had a few crazy weeks, I've had a, I've, I've had quite a calm, a calm week on on on, on board this week. But having said this, very much looking forward to uh, St Mary in the Castle in uh, Hastings, which I am a trustee of. Um, there will be a feast of fiddles there on uh, literally that's what it's called on Saturday night, and I'm taking my mother to that for Mother's Day. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, it's still technically meant to be Leave the EU Day on Friday oh, gosh, this week, yes. the 29th. So obviously, I'll also be buying pasta all week in the hope that i can somehow outrun the apocalypse gosh yes uh, this is that, that that uh clock is really ticking down i keep forgetting isn't it i can't hear anything else at the moment i'm afraid thanks to you for listening and thanks to rona, yes, always yes thanks to rona and hilly yes also less interrupting of terence thanks to them <laughs> thank you <laughs> Um, now we're playing out, Jules, with the full-length album version of a track that is from not only the Who's best album, but from one of the greatest albums of all time. Again, one of those albums, No Filler, All Killer. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't couldn't agree more. It's it's uh, it's it's pretty metal. This album, isn't it? Not metal as in it is heavy heavy metal. It's a but wonderful metal album. It is so serious, isn't it? Um, from um, from the album Who's Next, um, this is our friends. Uh, well, perhaps they're not very friendly with us after our, our slagging of them this week, but our, our quote-unquote friends of the Who. Um, I picked this partly because I knew we were going to do that story, hmm. um, and they are a good band, despite their somewhat, you know, sort of avaricious approach to touring nowadays. Hmm. And also because having recently attended the uh, the the, Euro- the uh, Mar- People's March for Europe, I suppose, the, uh, the March for uh, People's Vote, um, in Britain here yesterday which was very well attended there was over a million people there apparently and I really believe there was mm. having been stuck for three hours in central London I really do believe there were that many people there fortunately stuck behind a sound system but the, you know, going on that and, and asking for us to revisit a decision um, because we were you know, not terribly it wasn't terribly well explained to us um, that did, and also um, having to pay £212 to see The Who I felt this song was very appropriate so these are The Who and this is Won't Get Fooled Again
You have been listening to a DAC Media production.